Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Lax Factor Podcast. What is up, college lacrosse fans? You are watching episode 160 of the Lax Factor Lacrosse Podcast. Today, we are going to talk about the Division I NCAA Lacrosse Tournament bracket. We're going to talk about the bubble teams. We're going to talk a little bit about the matchups. And then on Wednesday's show, we'll get deeper into this, and we'll talk about the D2, D3 brackets and go deeper into the Division I matchups. Before I get into it, as always, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell. Main way you can help the channel grow and the main way that we really ask that you try to help support us is just subscribe to this channel or share this podcast with your friends, whatever you can do to just get more eyeballs on us. And then beyond that, you can uh, go to laxfactor.com. You can support us that way. Let's dive right into it, though. I want to talk about the three bubble teams to start. Army, Loyola, and Rutgers were the three final teams that were being considered for the final two uh, spots in this tournament. And man, I don't, I don't envy the committee for having to decide this because Rutgers was a really hard one to place. I think all of us would agree Rutgers looked really good as they demolished everybody in the Big Ten that wasn't Maryland or that wasn't Hopkins in the Big Ten semifinals. And then that loss to Hopkins doesn't look great. But then Army and Loyola, they have their problems as well. And then you never know what would have happened with Rutgers if they had played out of conference. I mean, usually I think Army and Rutgers traditionally play each other, being that I believe they're close in proximity. And uh, you, you, we would have a much better, instead of just doing the eye test, we would also have the smell test, but we don't have the smell test. So all they can do is run off of the eye test. And apparently they believed that Rutgers and Loyola were better in terms of the eye test in the data that they did have than Army was. My problem here overall is that Rutgers, they didn't have a single win over a team with a winning record. Now, who's to say that would have been the case if the big had played out of conference? Penn State and Ohio State, both were fairly solid teams. Even Hopkins was was something like if all of the big teams had played out of conference. They all would have picked up a couple more wins, but they could have picked up a couple more losses as well. It was a. It seemed to be the lower aspects of the big might have been a little bit better than normal, but it doesn't seem like that upper tier where you always had a Maryland and then somebody, one or two teams right below Maryland, hanging tough with the rest of the country. And we're, we're just not sure how that would have panned out. Everybody's pretty sure Rutgers would have been fine. Uh, in terms of RPI overall, Loyola and Army, I believe, had higher RPIs than Rutgers, but that once again, it's partly just because Rutgers couldn't play enough quality opponents to boost that. But the fact that Rutgers didn't have a single win over a team with a winning record, that looked rough. Army and Loyola both had more quality wins, but both also had some bad losses. Loyola's worst loss was to Towson. Their best wins came against Georgetown and Army. They actually split with Army. They lost to Army earlier in the regular season, but then they beat Army later in the season uh, in the Patriot League semis. So, boom, advantage Loyola in that one in terms of the head-to-head over Army. You could see if it came down to those two teams for the final spot, you could see how they would have picked Loyola or why they would have picked Loyola, a team that I think they were on a four-game winning streak coming into the, the Patriot League finals over a team like Army that had dropped a couple of games late, including 1-2 Loyola in the, in the semis. Rutgers, 
they were kind of impossible uh, to weigh on record alone. They didn't have a win against a team with a winning record. Their worst loss came at the hands of Hopkins in the Big Ten semis, and their best wins were against four and eight Ohio State and Penn State. So that's not good. That's not good for Rutgers overall. And then Army, their worst loss came at the hands of Navy, which isn't too bad, a conference foe with a winning record. I think Navy had a winning record in the end. Yeah, they definitely did. And then uh, their best win came against Syracuse, and then they had that early season win over Loyola as well. But then they lost to Loyola in the Patriot semis, so that kind of throws that one out of whack for them. Now, I, like I said, it's an impossible task. I think the easiest thing would have done, and I think one of the things I was lobbying for was the Big Ten as a conference made a poor decision to not play out-of-conference games. Every other team in the country managed to hang and do it. Not every other team, but most of the other conferences, especially the big respected conferences, all played out-of-conference uh, opponents, and then that made everybody's life easier. It made your team more battle-tested, and you didn't have any of this weirdness that we have now here. But Because it, it, you could have had three teams get in from the big if they had played out-of-conference. So to a degree, you could say the big's already being punished, because who's to say like a team like Ohio State or Penn State might have you know get picked up four non-conference wins, uh, and they, their records wouldn't have been as bad as they were because they wouldn't have had to play everybody in conference twice. They wouldn't have had to play Rutgers twice and Maryland twice, which for a lot of those teams ended up being four losses or, or all those teams that ended up being four losses during the regular season. They wouldn't have had those. So you could have had a legitimate scenario if the big 10 conference had played out of conference where three teams got in because three teams did well enough against their own conference. And then in the non-conference matchups to warrant that, that spot. So I probably would have punished the big, I think if I was the committee, I would have said, Hey, the, the conference is the ones that made our job impossible. It's, it's almost impossible to fairly judge these based on the body of work because Rutgers just didn't have a good enough body of work, not because it was their fault, but because their conference made a boneheaded decision. And I think I would have given the the spot to Army and to Loyola. But alas, Rutgers, I think in terms of eye test, I think Ruck, they were right to give it to Rutgers in that way. So it's like, man, I'm so torn. I wanted Army to get in, and I think Army deserved to be in, but you always have this this case here. You always have someone's going to get left out. Someone's got to be the first team out. At least in this case, we only had one team that deserved it. Uh, Delaware and the other teams that had gotten didn't really weren't really considered for that those those final two spots. They just didn't have the resume for it, you know, and uh, and all the crazy people here that thought that the America East Conference was going to get two teams in, including myself. We were all idiots as well. So anyway, I think that what it came down to in the end was historically the Big Ten is a two or three bid conference. They typically get two to three teams in. So assuming that the big was not that far removed from that quality, getting two teams in totally made sense. And then in terms of eye test, Rutgers was obviously that team. And I so in, in that way, it probably does make sense for Rutgers to get that nod because they were clearly the second best team in the Big Ten. It wasn't even close. They actually, I think, mopped up the floor with the other teams in the Big Ten more than even Maryland did. So you know, it's, it's, it's a rough one. Army, they should be upset. They got snubbed, but it's tough to argue against Loyola with that head to head win over them. Uh, so I think that it really came down to Army and Rutgers. And I think Rutgers won because traditionally the big 10 is always going to get two teams in because it almost always deserves it. So going by that logic, if Rutgers mopped the floor with everyone in the big 10, that wasn't Maryland makes sense that they should get that bid. So congrats to them though. I think it's their first bid since what? 2004. I think I saw it didn't even sound right. I was thinking it would have had to have been 2014, but someone was saying 2004. So that is pretty, pretty crazy. Now, so you can, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I feel for all the teams. I, I think that the committee probably got it right 
overall, but it has to sting for Army. And then for the Boobirds that say Army should get in over Syracuse because Army beat Syracuse, Army's Syracuse's worst loss was to Army. And then Syracuse's best two wins were two wins against Virginia. Then they beat a couple of ranked America East opponents on top of it. You know, so Syracuse handled their non-conference schedule except for Army. Army was their worst loss. And then they had two really good wins over over um, Virginia. And then Army had a couple of bad losses. I think Army lost to, who did I tell you that they already lost to? Army's worst loss came to Navy. So Army's worst loss was worse than Syracuse's first loss. Army's best win over Syracuse after Syracuse kind of finishes 7-5. and five, five, Army's win over Syracuse doesn't look as good as Syracuse's two wins over Virginia, especially with the RPI. Syracuse's strength of schedule was brutal. If, if the ACC teams didn't have to play six conference games, all of the ACC teams' records are inflated. Syracuse isn't 7-5. and five. Syracuse ends up being most likely 9-3. and um, three or something like that, you know? So, I mean, and that would have been the case for all of the, the ACC teams. I was saying Big East teams. So, anyway, I think they got it right overall. So, now, now, let us get into actually talking about the the actual seeds here. We've got number one, UNC. I think they got that right against Monmouth. Uh, Cade Stratton, he is Monmouth's only player above 20 points on the year. 17 goals, 12 assists. They play solid defense, but... They've played solid solid defense against the Mac, and I, I'm trying not to be too critical uh, of the Mac. I've gotten chirped now by multiple Mac fans that say that I have been I've done the Mac dirty all year, and I would agree with them. I think that's true. I have not covered the Mac because once again, it's a conference that they've pretty much just play, been playing each other, and from a strength uh, of the conference in terms of just the teams all the way through, just not there. Um, so they play tough defense and, and all that crap, but, I mean, this is probably going to be a 15-goal game. They haven't faced anyone that is even close to UNC level. They haven't – they barely faced a team with a, with a true winning record. I mean, if, if the MAC played out of conference games, I think almost everybody in the MAC has a losing record except maybe Monmouth and Manhattan. They fielded some quality teams this year. So I think they would have been the class of the MAC. But in the end, I mean, the MAC is not the ACC – they draw UNC, the number one seed in the tournament. So it's going to be a tough one. But, hey, hats off to Monmouth for making the tournament. It's it's just getting to the dance is part of, part of the game here, and getting to the dance consistently after that is the next step in trying to build a program. So I think they're, I think that's a huge, huge accomplishment for Monmouth, but I also believe that Gray and company are going to run roughshod all over Monmouth in that first-round game. Next up, number two, Duke draws high point. Tough draw for high point. High Point, they played four games against ACC squads before even the ACC squads had faced off against each other. They hung with UNC in their first meeting and then got waxed by them in the second. Then they lost to UVA by a goal before then facing Duke and then getting waxed by Duke. And then their only other loss beyond that was to Richmond. But things early on for High Point did not look good. Once they lost all four of those games to the ACC, they end up playing VMI after losing to Duke. I think they pick up an easy win against VMI. Then they lose to Richmond. Now all of a sudden this is a team that's like two and six or something like that. And it's like, what the hell are they going to be able to do uh, to end their season? And what they ended up doing to end their season was they rattled off. And I'm actually going to look it up here and tell you specifically how many wins they rattled off. They rattled off one, two, three, four. They were six and oh. They went 6-0 and down the stretch after losing to Richmond. Now, granted, they, those wins were against Bellarmine, Mercer, Air Force, Jacksonville, Jacksonville, and Richmond, and they did get revenge against Richmond, beating a Richmond, beating Richmond 11-8 in the SoCon uh, finals. But 
that it was looking rough for them early on because they were sitting at two and five after that loss to Richmond. And then they rattle off six straight wins and now they are eight and five. So that is pretty sweet for them. Asher Nolting, 26 and 42. Kevin Rogers can score 36 and 11. Braden Maia, 35 and 4. So offensively all year long, Richmond has not had a problem offensively at all. Richmond has had a problem in cage. You know, Parker Green's been good. And then at times, Parker Green has been not so good. And then High Point has had problems in, uh, I said Richmond again. I keep mixing them up. Uh, High Point has had problems on defense. So I think in this one, overall, I think that Duke is filthy. You know, while High Point can run offensively with anyone, Asher Nolting got the SoCon uh, tournament MVP. He's a, become a complete player, 50-50 threat. Key for them down the stretch over the course of those six wins. Asher Nolting was still turning the ball over at a ridiculous clip in the first half of their season. So at, at two and five or whatever they were, Nolting was on pace to turn the ball over almost 80 plus 90 times. He was averaging something in the area of like seven or eight turnovers a game, had a 12 turnover game. Uh, since that loss to Richmond, and actually even maybe including that loss to Richmond, he's been averaging less than five turnovers a game, I think possibly less than four turnovers a game. So Asher Nolting cleaned up what was the, the only real stain on his game, which was his turnovers, and that makes High Point a much more formidable team. So I don't think you're going to see Duke walk uh, walk all over High Point like you saw them do in their first meeting. I think as so long as Nolting can continue to take care of the ball, I think that so long as they can just hang defensively as much as possible, they could be in a shootout with Duke and they could be, you know, they could end up losing a two to four goal game in the high teens or something like that. I don't think there's a chance they beat him. I don't think they're going to come out and beat Duke, but I think that there's a chance that they can play a very respectable game, much more respectable than the first time they played. And once again, though, hats off to them for getting here. At two and five, things did not look good after they lost to Richmond. They've battled back. They won every game down the stretch, including beating Richmond again. So hats off to High Point. I actually thought this was going to be a down year for them. Turns out, no, it is not. This is actually a better year for them than even the years where they were really good. That year that they had where Nolting tore it up and scored like a 90 points and um, uh, they had the crazy keeper. Uh, whose name I always forget now, despite the fact I covered him ad nauseum uh, the year that he tore it up, uh, uh, the PLL kid. Anyway, the year they had them, I believe they lost to Richmond in the conference finals and didn't make the tournament. So for this year, for them to lose to Richmond during the regular season and then beat them in the conference uh, tournament, that's, that's awesome. So hats off to High Point, but I think Duke is still going to win this game by a slight margin. Maryland got the number three. They are going to face Vermont. So congrats to the Catamounts for winning the America East. It was a, a very exciting conference, and I think it was almost so exciting that a lot of us talking heads ended up kind of giving them a little bit too much credit. Uh, not not Vermont specifically, but the America East overall, because even I was saying at some point that the America East could potentially get two teams in, maybe three teams in. And uh, the reality was they, they probably just weren't good enough to be considered that way because you look at a team like Syracuse, who was at the, the bottom of the ACC, they played three America East teams and beat them all by a margin. And then the America East did not fare all that well out of conference as well. So Maryland offense, they're going to be tough. They're going to be the toughest offense that Vermont has faced all year since probably Syracuse. And then the Maryland defense is definitely going to be the toughest defense that Vermont has faced all year. I think that the, the where Vermont can keep this reasonable and where Vermont can show is at the faceoff dot. Tommy Burke has been incredible 
all season long. Kid's been actually just absolutely insane all year long. He's the reason that Vermont didn't get absolutely waxed by Syracuse, and he's the reason they won this tournament. Not the reason they won this tournament, because offensively they've been incredible as well. They actually got some pretty good goalkeeping play uh, against Albany at least at times in that game. So he's not the reason they won, but you know, you take Tommy Burke off this team and you put a pedestrian face-off guy that's just winning 50% of his face-offs uh, at the dot for them, they do not win the America East tournament. I think that's safe to say. So so hats off to him, and he will be key in this game. If he can win that possession battle at the dot, and Shockey and company, Shockey's taken a bunch of their face-offs, and they have the other guy that at times has taken the bulk of them as well. So they kind of have two guys that they work in depending on the matchups for Maryland. If, uh, if Burke can handle his business against them, if he can do his job and win 70% of the draws, now that makes things a little bit more interesting for, for Vermont. The problem is going to be Maryland clears the ball well. Maryland rides extremely well. Uh, Jared Bernhardt's an absolute animal. I don't think in the end that Jared Bernhardt's going to have to put up eight to 10 points in this game. I think he probably goes for six because I think the other scorers in this game for Maryland are also going to feast. But in the end, it's going to be up to Burke to limit Maryland's possessions. Vermont's going to have to play a very clean game in terms of clearing the ball as well to try to make sure that possession disparity stays on their side. And that's going to be their only hope in this game. They've got to win the possession battle, score goals on this defense when they get a chance because they're getting more possessions. And it could be a ball game, but most likely uh, Maryland is going to probably win by a margin in this as well. And I, you know, I'm saying this, but, and I don't want it to be true, but I just feel like Maryland is a really good lacrosse team. And I feel like it's probably going to be true. But once again, congrats to uh, the Catamounts. Congrats to Burke on this breakout season. Now, you know, now he's looking like one of the best faceoff guys in the country, bar none, if not the best guy in the country. Although the problem that he's going to have is just that, that schedule that Vermont played isn't tough enough to really be able to say that he's one of the top he's the top guy, even if you could easily say he's one of the top three to five face-off guys in the country. So I am a big fan of Tommy Burke, and I look forward to watching him develop further. Number four, Virginia against Bryant. Now, UVA, UVA potentially got a tough draw on Bryant. Bryant's, I think, their toughest out-of-conference win was over Vermont. UVA could blow their doors off. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised, especially UVA could blow their doors off because if Petey fucking LaSala handles his business at the dot, which I suspect he will, Bryant's face-off guy I think is hanging at uh, Jacob Alexander for Bryant's hanging at 58%. I still think LaSala could probably win 6 out of 10 against him, if not more. And like we always say with LaSala, it's not just about winning the draws. It's about putting up a couple of points as well, getting the ball going in transition, getting the ball to Cormier. Uh, in transition off the face-off dot. So I think that Virginia probably wins this game by a margin. But once again, as we keep saying, and I feel like it's been the case more this season than ever, that that face-off uh, battle, uh, we, they tried to change these rules to try to make the disparity at the dot not quite so pronounced. And I feel like it's backfired. And I feel like you have different guys dominating more than the traditional guys dominated uh, in the 2020 and the 2019 season. But either way, I think LaSala is going to be a key to this game. If uh, if the faceoffs are split 50-50, Virginia is going to win this one. Uh, it's going to take an absolute collapse by the midfield uh, for Virginia between the boxes uh, to lose this game, I think. But I think that's where it would probably end up being lost. I don't see Virginia losing too many matchups on defense out beyond where they take chances and give up some goals by being aggressive. So I think Virginia still wins by a margin, but that's out of the first top four seeds. I think obviously by design, it's supposed to be set up in a way that the fourth seed should have a better chance of getting upset than the the you know seeds one through three. And I think that probably is is the case, albeit I do not see an upset on the horizon out of these first four games. Now, 
The next one, number five, Georgetown against Syracuse. Now, this could end up being one of the best matchups in the tournament. On paper, if Syracuse beats Georgetown, it's going to go down as an upset. But I'm not. I think they're pretty evenly matched overall. Uh, many, you know, many thought that this was too high for Georgetown to be seeded, but I think the way they seeded them, and then I think that based on the fact that Syracuse is the one that Georgetown drew, I think this was by design a little bit because I think Georgetown got a slightly tougher draw than the number six seed actually did, which is by design not supposed to happen. But when you're playing geographic with some of these things, that's how it works out. So. You know, Syracuse, they have a hard time defending studs, and Jake Carraway is a bona fide stud. 46 goals and 16 helpers on the year. Cuse also has a tough time off ball, and TJ Haley's feeding skills are ridiculous. The kid has 47 assists in 2021. That's nuts. He's only got five goals, but 47 assists. Now, I think the one thing for Syracuse, how do you get a drink? I think the one thing that plays well for Syracuse is that he's so one-dimensional. That's going to help them a little bit. They have seen kids, and they have seen players as good as Caraway and as good as Haley. Probably not a feeder with Haley's vision and with his true hands and the skill, but I think the fact he's pretty one-dimensional, stay on his hands, it's going to make his life a little bit more difficult. What Syracuse really has to try to do at the defensive midfield, Syracuse has been terrible at the defensive midfield, specifically the short sticks that aren't named or that don't wear the number nine let's say, if I'm being facetious, on their chest, uh, they've been awful. Probably by far the worst uh, short stick D-mids in the country uh, outside of number nine. So that, that's been rough, and that's, I think, been one of the reasons that Syracuse has been so bad off ball overall. So, I mean, that's going to play quite a bit. And Georgetown's midfield unit, I think they're a little bit underrated. So, ugh. I don't know. I think this one, this is the first game where you could truly say this one's anybody's ball game right off the bat. Some would say if Syracuse beats Georgetown, that's an upset. I'd say these are two very evenly te uh, matched teams. Now, the one thing that will be curious for all of us to see, I'm curious to see, is Georgetown has not been battle tested. You figure Syracuse has played six games against uh, top seven teams or top five teams, and almost every game Syracuse has played has been against a ranked opponent. That has not been the case for Georgetown. The Big East is not the toughest conference traditionally, and Georgetown did not play anyone outside of like Loyola was their was their toughest out of conference game, and then they have Denver twice, and Villanova ended up being solid. So, I early in the season it looked like Georgetown's schedule was going to be hot trash, even because Loyola wasn't looking great early on. Loyola ends up being a term, tournament team. Georgetown loses to them, granted, but or you know they end up do they end up playing Denver twice, three times. And uh, they they beat him. They go two and one against Denver, who's quality. Villanova ended up being quality. They beat them that second time around, and then they lost to Loyola, who's a tough team. So it's like, man, Syracuse far more battle tested, but Georgetown's strengths are Syracuse's weaknesses in terms of offense defense matchups. But the other thing too, Georgetown has an incredible defense, but Syracuse's offense hasn't struggled against good defenses yet. So I like the Syracuse offense against the Georgetown defense, despite the fact Georgetown's been good. The big key here, face off dot. I think Syracuse can probably handle their business there. And the other big thing is going to be McEl uh, uh, McElroy and cage. He's been really good for Georgetown, and Syracuse sometimes struggles against really good goaltenders, so all of those things will play. I'm terrified. Uh, I, do, I don't mind the matchup. I mean, I think Syracuse could absolutely come out of it with a win. I was just hoping to get one of those games where you're just like, ooh, that's a game, that's a team that Syracuse matches up really well against, and that didn't happen, and it shouldn't have because Syracuse didn't deserve necessarily a great seed, but... It's a winnable game for the Cuse for sure. Winnable game for Georgetown for sure. I wouldn't be surprised to see Syracuse walk 
uh, by three to five goals. I wouldn't be surprised to see Georgetown do the same thing to Syracuse, and I wouldn't be surprised to see this go down to quadruple overtime. Should be a hell of a game. Next up, number seven, Denver against Loyola. Denver losing to Georgetown really hosed the Pios here. Loyola is a tough draw. They're on a roll, and they're not too far removed from beating Georgetown, the team that just beat Denver in the conference finals for, for the Big East. Key for Loyola down the stretch has been Lindley and Olmstead figuring things out offensively. Offensively, I've been saying all year that Loyola looked decent at the dot. Bailey Savio, I don't think, had the season he was hoping he was going to have, but they've looked good at the dot. Schaefer's been good in cage. They've been solid defensively. McNulty, all, you know, just a good team overall. Uh, for Loyola. Offensively is where they were struggling. They just weren't putting points up and Olmstead and Lindley, the guys that you needed, they needed to to perform weren't really matching up. You know, one would have a decent game, the other one wouldn't. And more often lately, I think it was Olmstead who's been playing really tough lately and he kind of had a slow first half of his year. So for Loyola, that's that's their key is all of those guys. But Denver, they've got a two-headed antidote to Savio at the faceoff dot and Erling Erlin and Stathakis. Now, Erlin has not been as good as some people expected him to be, but never count that dude out, and now we're in the playoffs, so he could he could end up trashing on him. And then Stathakis is one of the best face-off guys in the country, too. So so Denver's legitimately rolling with two of the best face-off guys in the country. If they win that battle at the dot, I think they win this game because Thompson in cage for Denver has also looked really good. So it's like, you know, you got Loyola's strengths have kind of also been Denver strengths. Loyola struggles have also kind of been Denver struggles, but I think Denver's a better offensive team at this point. I think their goalie scenario, I think Thompson's playing a little bit better than Schaefer is in cage maybe. And then at the faceoff dot, you got to like Denver overall. So I, I, I think Denver is the slightly better team here. I think they're going to win this game most likely. And uh, that's that's how it rolls here. And you know what the crazy thing is, is who's our last seed here? It's a number I don't oddly enough have the uh I actually don't have the last one I forgot to write that last game up here so now I got to look up the freaking uh I got to look up the freaking bracket so I can remember who the hell that last game is thank god it's I'm, I'm flubbing this this late into the uh into the show though here let's see all right here we go here is our bracket who got the freaking eight seed and who is playing there we go and like literally, if I if you said, "Hey, your life depends on you pulling that out of your butt right now," I wouldn't have been able to. Uh, number eight. Oh, geez, Lehigh, Lehigh and Rutgers. Now that's going to be an absolute battle. Lehigh, best team in PA. Uh, you know, maybe Villanova could make that argument. Towards the end of the year, they were playing really tough, but Lehigh gets the eight seed. They draw Rutgers, the last bubble team here, and that is a tough draw for Lehigh. But this is the perfect test. For the Big Ten. All these people who have been hating on the Big Ten saying Rutgers isn't as good as people think because the Big Ten sucks. Well, if they can beat Lehigh in this first round game, everyone should probably shut up about the Big Ten and the quality. And then we could maybe start saying, well, hey, the fact the conference screwed them and maybe the conference was stronger than people thought. Uh, Lehigh at the faceoff dot will probably absolutely murk. Rutgers, Sisselberger is insane at the faceoff dot. So that will be key. Win the possession battle in the middle of the field. And Lehigh is a very good defensive team as well. Rutgers, offensively, probably a little bit more formidable than Lehigh. And defensively, they're probably as good as Lehigh. So I feel like legitimately, this is a crazy matchup. This should be a dogfight. Sisselberger is going to be as important as ever at the faceoff dot for Lehigh in this one. And Rutgers is going to have to clear the ball flawlessly in this one to try to make up for that possession disparity or just be super efficient on offense, which they're capable of doing, but they're a little bit streaky at times. So, you know. 
I don't know. And then, uh, um, um, what's his nuts? The keeper there. Uh, he's going to have to play tough for Rutgers as well because Lehigh, like I said, Lehigh's going to win possessions. Lehigh's going to get looks. So that Rutgers defense is going to get tested. If they can stand tall and hang, they probably win this game. I, I, I think overall that Rutgers is probably a better team, but don't front on Lehigh, man, especially with winning faceoffs like they do. Uh, they're, they're dangerous on any given day. In all, I think it is a really nice looking bracket. I think the fact that really Army was the only team I think that you could say got snubbed. I don't consider Delaware a snub. I don't think that they their their body of work was good enough to get them in despite a 10 and 3 record overall. I think they got it generally right outside of Army not getting in and I don't I I don't have an answer for that one. I I don't know how I would have done it if I had a vote and I didn't hear all of the arguments that they got to hear. They got to hear from some of the coaches and things like that as well. So that is our Division One bracket. Now, I will come back Wednesday, and I'm going to fill out this bracket, and I'm going to share that with you and share who I think is going to end up winning the title all the way through. And then we'll talk a little bit more about the D2 and the D3 brackets. But, hey, it's uh, I'm having a little bit of power outages, so I'm going to try to quit while I'm ahead here. I didn't have a power surge while I recorded, and nothing shut down on me, but I had started recording this early on, and it shut down on me, and I had to restart it. So I'm going to get out of here. I will be back Wednesday to talk about these matchups. I'm going to show you my bracket and how I think this is all going to play out. We'll talk a little bit about the D2, the D3 tournament, and then, man, this weekend – We've got tournament lacrosse, baby. I can't wait for that. Thank God we got through this whole season without any terrible, terrible COVID problems. So um, all good things. All good things for all of us lacrosse fans. I will be back Wednesday. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. And Hoost is out. 